0: Really, really glad you're here today. We are in round five in our series called You Can Learn to Fight Right, right? And I hope you've been learning to fight right as we've gone through this series together. Um, um, We've been talking about words. We've been talking really about five key words, and we're going to wrap up with the fifth one this morning. But before I get there and look at those words, how many of you have heard of a sniglet? Any of you heard of a sniglet? Nobody has heard of sniglets. Okay, well, sniglets is any word that doesn't appear in the dictionary but should, okay? Anywhere that doesn't appear, but should. And I'll show you some Sniglets. Here's the first one. It's called Aquadextrous. Aquadextrous. This is a Sniglet, a word that should be in the dictionary. And what it means is possessing the ability to turn the bathtub faucet on and off with your toes. Some of you did not realize you had that gift, that ability, that strength. There's no Apparently there's no Olympic competition for that. But anyway, here's another one. It's called Oblivet. Oblivet. Oblivet is to turn one's pillow over and over looking for the cool spot. Maybe you didn't realize other people actually do that. Here's another one. It's called nap jerk. Nap jerk can happen in church. I'll be watching for this today. <laughs> it's the sudden convulsion of the body just as one, about, one is about to doze off, okay? How about Phonesia? Phonesia. Phonisia is the affliction of dialing a phone number, although we don't dial, we still use that language, right? Dialing a phone number and forgetting who it is you are calling just as they answer. You ever had that happen to you? Here's another one. Car perpetuation. I like this one. Car perpetuation is the act when vacuuming of running over a string or a piece of lint at least a dozen times, reaching over, picking it up, examining it, then putting it back down to give the vacuum one more chance. Oh, the weird things that we do, we humans, right? Those are some words that are called sniglets and they have nothing to do with what I'm talking about today except to say that we've been looking at five words and those five words that we've been looking at have been really, I think, profoundly important and powerful in our lives. We've been talking about words that are connected to this whole idea of learning to fight right. Remember we talked first of all about judging. And how easy it is for us to judge a person simply in a hurry sometimes and unusually put them down or raise them up on the basis of their outside appearance, on the basis we judge them that way, we'll judge them by other things like that. We don't tend to get the facts all together when we're judging someone. We tend to want to judge motives, which we really shouldn't be doing. All those kinds of things around judging, we spent some time talking about that. The second word that we talked about was the word confronting. Remember we talked about confronting and how all of us need confronting from time to time, right? And need to confront others. And one of the things that we spent a good deal of time talking about and have referred to over the weeks is this whole idea that healthy confronting is a gift. And if we can present it as a gift, think about it as I'm confronting someone as a gift, and if I can receive it as a gift, And it will do what confronting can really do in a a profound and, and powerful way in our lives. We talked about repenting. Remember we talked about repenting and we talked about six actions that are part and parcel of healthy repenting. Remember we talked about name it, own it, grieve it, confess it, quit it, and mend it. Remember we talked about that and we talked about our motivation around repenting too, that it needs to not be because I'm hurting but it needs to be what have I done to others and how does God see this? And then last week, I think we talked about the most difficult piece of all, and that's the whole area of forgiveness. And you remember when we talked about forgiveness, we said there are a number of characteristics around this word called forgiveness. We talked about it's a choice, it's outrageous that we would be asked to do this, it's commanded, it's also a process that we need to go through many times. But if we'll do it, it will free us from the hurt that we didn't deserve. It's the right thing to do because the other options are denial or vengeance, which are never the right thing to do. Today, we're going to talk about reconciliation. Reconciling. Reconciliation. Big word. What it basically means is this. Reconciliation is the restoration of the bond between two people in mutual acceptance of each other for who each other is. Now, when we think about reconciliation, you have to realize they're going to put at least three different pieces together. There's going to be forgiveness and repentance, and then reconciliation can become a part of that dance, as it were. Let me just remind you a little bit about this. It takes only one person to forgive. You understand what I mean by that? I am responsible to forgive. It doesn't matter about what everybody else does. It's really totally up to me. It takes one person to repent. But the challenge with reconciliation is it takes at least two people to reconcile. You can't just do it on your own. You can forgive on your own. In fact, you have to forgive on your own. Same thing with repent. But when it comes to reconciling, we need to have the two people working on that one together. We forgive a person whether they repent or not. And we repent before a person whether they forgive or not. But we cannot experience reconciliation unless both repentance and forgiveness have been expressed and accepted, right? Another truth is this. Forgiving has no strings attached. In other words, I don't stand around and say to that person, you know, I'm going to forgive you if you do this, or if you act this way, or I'm going to wait for a while because of whatever the situation. What God is calling us to do, and this is what makes forgiveness so tough, is he's calling on us to forgive without strings attached. We simply do it because it's the right thing, the godly thing to do. Repentance also has no strings attached. I'm not going to repent by saying, I'll repent if you do this or if this happens. No, no, no. We are to do that in and of ourselves. But reconciliation has strings attached to it. It's a little, it's significantly different, okay? It has several strings attached. In fact, I put a little formula up here. It goes like this. Forgiveness plus repentance does not always equal reconciliation. In fact, forgiveness plus repentance is not enough. There needs to be other movement that will allow reconciliation to take place. And let me say this, too. Forgiveness plus repentance is a journey toward reconciliation. It doesn't necessarily mean that reconciliation is going to happen. In fact, in some cases, reconciliation should not happen. Okay, You don't put yourself back into a situation that can be harmful. You want to take care of that. And it's a journey to try and get there. There's absolutely no question about that. So I brought some friends along. This is Mortimer, and this is Petunia, OK? I chose those names because I believe that nobody online or in the room would have those names. If you do have those names, please forgive your parents, OK? now. <laughs> So we've got Petunia and Mortimer, and I want to just kind of talk about what this, this, this is called reconciliation, okay? It's a face-to-face relationship that they're experiencing. There's peace, there's openness, there's harmony around that, whatever that circle of a relationship would involve. That's what is taking place. But if Mortimer, and I can't remember which one's Mortimer, you'll forgive me for this. If Mortimer messes up, okay, and hurts Petunia, okay, he goes in this direction, and she is hurt, There is this separation that they're experiencing, right? Now, Mortimer might say, you know what? I need to name it and own it and grieve it. I need to confess it and quit it and mend it and come back. But that's not reconciliation, is it? There's still a distinction between the two. And if Petunia forgives him, there's still a problem because they're not like this yet. And there needs to be some working toward this particular dimension. That's what reconciliation is. It's coming back into that face-to-face relationship with the person who, ha- who we've had this, we're in a fight with, right? That's what ultimately we're trying to do. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at three stories in the Bible that show us reconciliation, how it can happen, what we can learn from it, okay? And the very first one, I want us to go to the book of Genesis in chapter 33, This is the account of two brothers, and it's unrealized reconciliation. When you look at the story, you're going to say to yourself, I think they're reconciled, and yet it doesn't appear that they are. And um, we'll try and unpack it. One of the things the Bible doesn't do is give us every detail to every account. And so we need to kind of put the pieces together, right? So here are the two brothers. One's named Esau, and the other one is named Jacob. And you remember what happens in Exodus, excuse me, Genesis chapter 33. Um, and I'm sure many of you have heard the story before. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. So here's what's happening. Jacob, okay, is really loved by his mom. And Esau is really loved by his dad. And right away you can see the fraction in the family. Esau is the firstborn. And in that context, because he's the firstborn, it's called Primogenitor, that's the big word. Primogenitor means that the oldest male gets the goods, okay? He gets the inheritance, he gets most of the money, he gets most of the blessing. He's really in good shape. And if you remember when they were born, Jacob's hanging on to Esau's heel. It's kind of like, no, I want to be first. And he becomes out second, right? So he doesn't get it. Just that little time frame changes the destiny of both of these guys. But one day, father is dying, Isaac is dying, and so what happens is that he says, Esau, I want you to get ready. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you, as it would be, your right, your inheritance. And Esau goes out to kill a deer because that's his dad's favorite meal. And while he's out there, <laughs> Jacob and his mom plot. Jacob puts on Esau's clothes. Jacob, I don't know. He smells like the outside. I don't know what that means. Except in the spring where I live, it really smells outside. I don't know if that's what he did. But he goes into meet with his father, tricks him into thinking is Esau receives all the blessing. Now, when Esau finds out what has happened, his response is, I'm going to kill you. And what happens to Jacob is that Jacob decides to leave. So he leaves his mom and his brother, his father, and the whole thing, and takes off. And he's gone for about 20 years. 20 years. He doesn't connect with his family at all. No emails, no text messages, nothing, okay? And at the end of that 20-year period, he decides to head home. I'm sure he's very nervous. He's become very wealthy at this point. He has a large family. He has large flocks. He has servants. He's in great shape. But as he comes on this direct, heading toward home, here's what we read when we come to verse 1. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Now, all of a sudden, when you see this happening, here's Esau with 400 soldiers, and here's Jacob, and he goes right up to Esau, and he bows down seven times. And you're looking at this, and you're thinking, the guys are repenting. The guy's saying, look what I've done wrong, look what I've messed up. That's how I would interpret it. He's certainly putting himself in a posture of homage before his brother. And here's what you read next in verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they what? they wept. I mean, you're looking at this and you're thinking, wow, this is beautiful. There has been this distance and this separation, and now it looks like we've got repentance on the side of Jacob for lying to his dad and stealing the inheritance, and we've got forgiveness on the part of Esau as they're clinging to each other and holding on to each other. Forgiveness plus repentance does not equal reconciliation. Remember we already talked about that? It's essential for it, but there needs to be, I think, some work going on here, wouldn't you say, in light of the fact that there's been all these years and the, and the dimension of what he has done to him? So here's what happens. Then Esau said, let us go on our way. I'll accompany you. So let me, let me walk with you. Let me, let me take care of you. Let's go back. I'll, ta- I'll go home with you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard, just one day all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau and Jacob have this Beautiful moment. It's almost like slow-mo. Can you see it? They're running toward each other and they embrace each other and the tears are flowing and they chat for a while. They have some coffee together, and then they decide we're gonna meet in Seer. Let's meet in Seer. Jacob says, that would be great. I'm gonna go by myself, you go by yourself, because you know we need to, we're just slow and pokey, and you don't wanna you don't wanna keep up. It'll be drive, drive you crazy. So here's what we read. So that day. Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, what's the next word? However, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is named Succoth. And I think what Jacob did, Succoth, okay? So I want to say that. I think that <laughs> what's going on here. Well, it seems initially like we've got all the pieces together for reconciliation, right? I mean, you see what's going on, but when we look at Jacob and Esau, yes, they've moved like this, but they haven't come to this particular posture. There isn't, I don't believe there's reconciliation that has taken place at this particular time. When hurt happens, it always affects trust. It always affects trust. And healing that trust Sometimes is the right thing to do and sometimes quite frankly, it's not the right thing to do. It isn't going to heal and When we look at this particular encounter, I think that there is this sense and I'm this is just a me thing Okay, I can't show you the scripture or what's going on here. This is a me thing. I think that Jacob does not trust Esau Okay, and I think one of the reasons he doesn't trust Esau is because he himself is a deceiver and because he is a deceiver, if you look at his life over and over again, he deceives, 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 deceives. He can't get past that mindset that maybe Esau is genuine in his forgiving of Jacob. We don't really know. What ends up happening, however, is there is this distinction, this difference between them. How do you grow trust? How do you grow trust after 20 years? How do you grow trust when you've taken all of the blessing? How do you grow trust when you've taken all this big inheritance? and you believe that God is gonna bless Jacob more than you, Esau, how, how, do you, how do you build trust in that relationship when the trust has been fractured? And obviously it takes time, it takes risk, it takes little, t- little, sometimes, or it takes little steps a lot of times, especially when it's significant. Now, a lot of times when we have this fracture happen, we're able to forgive in a hurry and reconciliation happens right away, and thank God it does. But sometimes it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes reconciliation is impossible, the person's gone, the person has passed away, that it's just the way the situation is. Sometimes reconciliation, as I've mentioned, is harmful. You don't wanna go back into abusive situation and it may never change and because that trust has been fractured, we need to be really careful about that. In any case, I think it is a long process. Um, I have seen in my ministry some incredible stories of reconciliation. In marriages where there has been unfaithfulness, I know I'm visualizing a couple, one in particular right now, who who would tell me they, they were able to move past that, the trust was built, and they would say to me, our marriage is better than it ever was. But I know that doesn't always happen that way. It can be very, very difficult. Reconciliation can have some wonderful consequences. Here's the interesting thing. Esau and Jacob, it appears it never did, and Esau becomes the father of the Edomites, Jacob becomes the father of Israel and on Christmas we remember that Herod who is an ancestor of Esau tries to slay all the babies of which Jesus is the ancestor of Jacob. So down through history we watch this unfold in a in terrible way and one wonders what if reconciliation had actually taken place? A number of years ago I had a conflict with a pastor. He was older than me, about 15 to 20 years older than me, and there had been a trouble in the church I was involved in, and um, there was just this terrible, it one of those messes that happens in churches, sadly. And um, it weighed on me that he, he moved away and went to a different church to serve about an hour and a half away, and it was weighing on me that our relationship had been fractured, I was feeling God's hand on me, can get this right, can get this right. And um, so I phoned him, and I said, can I come and see you? And he said, my door's open, feel free to come. So we made an appointment, and I drove, took me an hour and a half to get there. And uh, nervous as can be, you know, those kinds of things, right? And I wanted to walk in there and, and, and repent of areas that I had done, things I hadn't done more than what I'd done that had really hurt him. And, um, and other things that I did not, did not know that I'd done. I was wanting to be as open as I could. And I walked into his office and sat in a chair, and I said, I just, I, you know, how are you kind of thing. And then I said, you know, I want to I make our relationship as healthy as we can. I want reconciliation, and I, I want to, you know, can we talk through this and get to a point where that can happen? And he said to me, no. He said, we'll get it right when we stand before God. We're not going to deal with it now. And I remember sitting there, going, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> okay, just kind of jaw on, ch- you know, chest, chin on chest. You ever had that happen? And I, I, there was nothing else I could say or do. And I got back in my car and I drove the hour and a half home and thought, My goodness, what's going on? Here's a lesson that you've heard me say already, and I want to say it again, and that's this: You're only accountable for what you can control. Right? You're only accountable for what you can control, and while you may want reconciliation with someone else, if they refuse to move in that direction, there's nothing you can do about it because it takes two to reconcile. It takes one to forgive and one to repent, but two to make those things right. That's our first story, unrealized reconciliation, and we wonder what would have happened if it would have been healthy. Second story is in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son, and it's realized reconciliation. And you guys know the story well if you've spent any time in church. It's a great, great story, a great, great story. And you remember what happens when Jesus is telling this story. It's in Luke chapter 15, which is interesting, because in the story, Jesus tells three, in the chapter, Jesus tells three stories all designed to give one message, and that is that God is the God who pursues people who are far away from him. He's the reconciler. First story in Luke chapter 15 is the story of the lost sheep, and the shepherd who goes out to find it. Second story in Luke 15 is the story of the lost coin. and the woman who searches around, she's like God, searching around the home looking for the coin. Third story in Luke 15 is the prodigal son, the lost son. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And all three stories, Jesus is saying, "This is what the heart of God the Father is like." So remember the story, right? The boy comes to his dad. He's not the oldest, so he doesn't get the biggest chunk of the inheritance. But he says to his dad, I want my money now. I, it's kind of like he's saying to his dad, um, you're not dead. I wish you were dead. Because you're not dead, will you give me the money and pretend you're dead kind of thing? That's really how he does it. So he gets the money, and off he goes. You remember what happens? He lives in a wild kind of life, has no money at all. All of a sudden, he finds himself a famine strikes the land. He finds himself feeding pigs, which for a Jewish boy, not a good thing, right? He's feeding these pigs, and he realizes You know, it's kind of like the weight comes upon him and he realizes back home, his dad, the servants are getting fed better than he is right now. And so here's what we read in the text, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. We read this, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And what have we got happening here, right? We've got the father and son. The son says, dad, give me your money. I don't want to be with you anymore. And off he goes, right? Goes way down. Then he has his famine. He's starving. He's wasted his life. And then he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to name it, own it, grieve it, confess it, quit it. And i'm going to mend it i'm going to go back to my father and you can see all of those actions in the passage if you look real closely at it he comes back to his dad now his dad is always like this right his dad has forgiven him instantly in fact his dad has been sitting on the front porch week after week after week in that chair waiting for his son to come home and the bus pulls up at the end of the laneway and his son gets off of it spent the last money he had for the bus ride and he at the end of the lane the father sees him what does the father do he runs to his son. He wraps his arms around him. He's so excited to see his son. So the son comes back with this absolute right kind of repentance, and the father sees him, and he runs to him, and there is this reconciliation that takes place. Here's what we read. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring, it's quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He is so excited to see his son come back again. Reconciliation is happening, isn't it? And then he says these words, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is reconciliation, right? Because now there is this peace between the father and the son. It's all taken care of. It's all well. The relationship is is restored. And that's just so beautiful. It's interesting, isn't it? That the one who has been hurt, in this case the father, is the one who pays the greatest price. And that's true in reconciliation. They have to take that weight of of what has happened and let it go, forgive and make it right. This is so important. And I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, what price am I willing to put on reconciliation? What price would I be willing to pay to make sure that I can get this thing right? Paul writes this in Romans. He says, if, and I love the way it's written, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Notice the phrasing, if it is possible, because sometimes it's not possible. But if it is possible, and you always want to think, is it going to be possible? As far as it depends on you, Not accountable for what someone else does, but you are accountable for yourself. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I know that as I talk before, those of you who are in the room, those of you who are watching online, I know that in doing that, that you are, perhaps some of you are in a situation where you have a family member, maybe it's a sibling or a parent or a child or a friend, a spouse maybe, where there is this distance between you. And it really, it really can fracture the relationship. And more than anything, what you want to do is you, wanna, you want that relationship to be right and to be healthy. And this verse in Romans really challenges us, doesn't it? If it's possible, as much as it depends on you. And you need to try and you need to pray and you need to ask God, is this the right, what's it, how can I say the right thing or do the right thing or what's the right time? And maybe, maybe ask God to do that in your lives. I think that's so important. You know, there's a difference between being a peace lover and a peacemaker. Everybody wants peace. Everybody loves peace. But few people, fewer people are peacemakers. The difference is someone who acts to create peace, that harmony between us, versus someone who just loves it and is hoping it'll happen. And ultimately what we see with the prodigal son in all of chapter 15 in Luke is God reaching out and looking for us. He's pursuing that reconciliation, which brings us to the third story. And it goes simply like this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, it's the story of the cross. It's the story of divine reconciliation. And here is a verse in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians that says this, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. God is a reconciler. God is a forgiver. And God longs for human beings to be reconciled with him. Because we are the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And the Father is wanting to bring us into a right relationship with him. God is capital R Reconciler, right? That's who he is. That's what he does. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he gave us this wonderful message that God the Father wants to reconcile with every single human being on planet Earth no matter their rebellion no matter their sin that's what he wants to do and that's just a beautiful beautiful thing you know last week i talked about forgiven people forgive people who understand that they're forgiven by god the father and understand the depth of what that means are people who are more prone to forgive others because they realize what they've experienced themselves today let me add this line reconciled people reconcile people who have been reconciled and understand what it means to be reconciled with god are more prone to pursue reconciliation with others. When you understand the fullness of it, that's the kind of experience you want to extend to others. Three stories. Ultimately, we love God who is the divine reconciler and want, in fact, to to mimic, mimic him. It all goes back to God. We think about judging in this series, and we think about God being the beautiful, perfect judge. We think about confronting and how God was the confronter. We think about repentance and realize how open he is to us repenting, or forgiveness and how he extends that, or reconciling how he is the one who reconciles. And you may be here this morning, and as I've talked with you about this, you're thinking of someone, perhaps God's Spirit is speaking to you, that you need to reconcile with. Forgiveness and repentance are the things that need to happen first, right, before that can take place. And remember, you cannot control the other person. You're only accountable for what you can control. So take a good look inside. Maybe you need to be the one making the first move. Maybe you've tried and it hasn't worked and you're now waiting and praying for God to do something. That's good too. But let's be reconcilers, right? Let's be people who pursue that, who pray for that because that's the kind of God we have, and I know that that's ultimately in our hearts as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we've um, talked about this whole area of relational conflict over the last five weeks, and in doing that, we've been reminded again of, of just how beautiful and wonderful you are that you are the one who, has, who models everything and we are the ones who want to try and emulate that in our lives. And I know that even as we've been talking, I've been talking this morning that uh, I'm sure there's people in the room who are feeling the weight of a broken relationship. They would love to be reconciled. And they've prayed and they've talked and they've felt, is there something else I can do? I pray that you would provide them with wisdom, Lord. Maybe it's a child or a spouse or a friend. Maybe it's a sibling, whatever it may be, Lord. I pray that your heartbeat that we have examined really quickly in Luke 15 would be our heartbeat as well. Knowing confidently that you're the God who can reconcile. And Lord, we want to be reconcilers. So you do what you can do that we can't do. Help us to do what we need to do. And may you be honored and glorified in all of this. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Try that again. Good morning. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. And uh, if you don't have one of these uh, little cups, uh, one of the ushers will come if you want to put your hand up um, to get into it. There's a little piece of cellophane on the top that covers the wafer, and then it's a little tougher to get sometimes into that, but you have to break up here is one more. So, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Perhaps like some of you, I have likely celebrated communion around a thousand times in my life, I would expect. When I have, these words are often used. Uh, When Jesus said, in remembrance of me, I'd like to speculate about perhaps what is the most important part of what he meant. And Ken has just finished this series on fighting right, with today's focus on reconciliation. I'm sure we could spend a month of Sundays on why God sent us onto earth, but just one reason this morning. Perhaps the most important, I think the most important reason, God sent his son to die on a cross. To sacrifice his body and shed his blood for this reason. One word, reconciliation. Jesus said, remember me. Jesus reconciled us to the Father and wants us to remember. Let's do that this morning as we take the cup and bread together. One more little note, the night before he went to the cross, to bring about that reconciliation he prayed, and he prayed for us. Jesus prayed that, uh, that as we are reconciled to the Father through his sacrificed body and shed blood, that we also would be reconciled to each other and live in unity one with another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the unfathomable gift of your son, Jesus. As I was thinking about it, it seems a strange prayer for those that may not understand, but thank you, Father, for the sacrificed body and spilled blood of your son. Thank you that through this gift, we can be reconciled and be one with you. And as we take this little wafer and drink this juice, help us to remember just what you did to reconcile us with you and empower us as we leave here today to live united and in reconciliation through Jesus and love one another. Amen.